Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Positively Track. I'm Bruce Gibson with Dan Gunther, and we are so happy to have you with us because, yes, we are talking about Star Trek Discovery, the latest episode, The Examples. And, Dan, how are you doing today? I'm doing okay. I'm glad to be here discussing Star Trek, of course, as usual, and excited to talk about this one. I think there's Ooh, some interesting stuff. Good. Here. I can't wait to hear what you have to say. I'm actually getting kind of hot, so I'm taking off my Star Trek hoodie right now. Oh, my. Yeah. But I've got I've got a shirt on underneath, so don't, <laughs> don't, don't think anything bad about me. So. <laughs> but before we talk about that episode of Star Trek Discovery, we got a one piece of news I just wanted to mention that, you know, William Shatner went out into space, the oldest person to go into space. And that was through Blue Origin, right? And Jeff Bezos of Amazon, that's whole, his whole operation. But anyway, then Leonard Nimoy, in a sense, has gone where no one has gone before. Because there was uh, someone who was on the latest mission that... Julie Nimoy, his daughter, knows and asks for her to take a silver pennant that she that Leonard Nimoy's daughter wears all the time that says live long prosper on it, take it out into space. So it would be like a piece of her father getting up into space. And so in a sense, a piece of Leonard Nimoy has gone to space. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. That's interesting. I I like that uh yeah, there's that little bit of family connection there, and it's kind of touching for sure. And But what I like is that we're always getting some element of Star Trek into all these little missions, right? That mm-hmm. in today's society and in today's world where people are going into space, there's this opportunity to take something Star Trek with them, whether it's a pendant or whether it's William Shatner. You're taking them up into space. So, And I also recently just watched Shatner in space. I watched that documentary and it's actually pretty good because it's not just about William Shatner going to space, but it's about that whole program at blue origin of the whole process. So you're kind of going through it with Shatner of seeing like what they do to get them ready, how they train them, the simulations. I found that really interesting. So it's on prime video on Amazon and I would suggest, you know, if anybody's interested in space programs or just William Shatner going to space to check it out. So I don't know if it's available where you are. I'm assuming it is. I'm 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 assuming it's on Amazon Prime. I, th- I think our Amazon Primes are the same. I could be wrong. Maybe there's a, a country difference between them. I'm not sure. I, I was kind of, I've, I've been having mixed feelings about all of this with Blue Origin and and all of this stuff. And I was kind of trying to figure out exactly why that is. And I don't want to like bring down everything here and that sort of thing. But uh, I I just, it it kind of crystallized for me the other day when 
uh, I was I was reading in the news that some uh, SMS text messages have been made public where uh, you remember the, there was the, the storms in the U.S. that destroyed the Amazon facility and six Amazon workers were killed and stuff. And the, the, texts, the texts from the one guy to his wife saying Amazon's not letting us leave to, you know, and he ended up dying and stuff. And again, I'm not wanting to bring everything down, but like, I think that's coloring me every time we talk about Blue Origin and Jeff Bezos and Amazon's like, we've got this one level where, you know, they're going to space and they're, they're pushing the boundaries and doing these amazing things. And this other level where the, the, the workers are just suffering because of, because of all of this. And I'm just, ah, I, I, I'm conflicted and I don't know how to resolve this in my head and, and the whole, you know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. This is, I'm just kind of wanting to explain why I feel like every time these stories come up, I'm excited, but at the same time, I'm just really, I, I just don't feel good about it. If that makes sense. Yeah. You know? I didn't know that that's what your thoughts were uh, until this moment. I'm not all that aware of the Amazon issues or what you just said about it. I've heard, I guess, little rumblings about it. So that hasn't colored my perception because I'm just not all that familiar with it. I've heard some mm-hmm. things about working in Amazon conditions, and st- but I, I, I've heard that with so many other companies that I, I don't even really know how much of that is really true or not or whatever. I don't, I don't know. I don't know that much about it. As a matter of fact, now that you mention it, uh, within walking distance now of my house is a brand new Amazon distribution center that our neighborhood was fighting against because they're mm. afraid of traffic and noise and other things. Now, for my subdivision that I'm in, it's on the complete other side. So I don't hear anything or anything, but I do see a few more Amazon vans driving around because it just recently opened a few months ago. And this facility is, you know, pretty big. So you can't miss it when you drive by, but yeah, it's, it's not far from my house. So maybe I'll go and knock on the door. I'll just walk over there and just tell them to shape up and make sure everybody's doing okay in there. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, I just, yeah, I, I I feel like I had to say something because I, I don't want us to just be advertising Jeff Bezos and how awesome Amazon is without, you know, just kind of mentioning my conflicted feelings and I don't know what to do or say or anything about it. I obviously have no kind of sway or power or anything like that, but uh, anyway, I don't know. (laughs) I mean, I I get what you're saying again, but like for me, it's like, you know, if China goes does some great space mission or Russia or whatever, I don't always agree with, of course, how China handles some things in Russia. I just, you know, also, but at the same time, it's like, you know, there's these other individuals that don't have anything to do with that, that are making this happen. You know, Mm -hmm. they're the ones who are accomplishing it. I mean, Jeff Bezos isn't the one engineering this, you know, it's all these people that are working there. He's, he's helping them. He's financing it to make it happen. They're the ones who are making it happen. Anyway, I guess it's just the whole dream of going to space just feels more real when you see individuals like this, who are not true astronauts, for example, like William Shatner, has no experience in space outside of being an actor playing a captain on a sci-fi show on TV, you know, that you can go up there for several minutes and come right back down seems really cool. 
Mm-hmm. So. No, and it does seem cool. Like I, like I said, I'm conflicted. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny watching the documentary because I really wanted to see them in space, and I saw a little bit of footage before, but I saw more on this. And it's so funny when they're in zero G and they're all like getting out and flipping upside down and all that, and William Shatner just barely moves out of his chair. <laughs> you know, everyone else is just tossing around, and he's just going, "Whoa, whoa." Whoa, zero G. Oh, look at that view, you know. <laughs> he definitely so you, looks like the old man. <laughs> so are you saying it's like that scene in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, where the Enterprise is first entering the Mutara Nebula and everybody lurches forward with like and but Chatner Kirk stays completely still in his chair and does not move at all. Seriously, people, go watch that. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, right when they first enter the nebula. It's it's pretty funny. Kirk, I I've think, never noticed that. I think he missed his cue, but like everybody lurches forward and Kirk is sitting completely still in his chair. <laughs> is he going, whoa, whoa. <laughs> he does kind of look around after. It's kind of funny. but <laughs> Oh, man. Now I have to go and watch that. I, I've never noticed that. That's like the whole thing about the shuttle pod and the motion picture going to dock with the enterprise and I never noticed the guy in the lower po- little porthole watching it mm, like yeah <laughs> until recently and I'm like why have I never noticed that? or maybe I noticed it just didn't like consciously think about it but now it's like I always notice it and then I was watching I guess it's from is it maybe it is Star Trek 2 yeah Star Trek 2 they reuse I think that shot again Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the entire approach to the Enterprise and then the launch of the Enterprise from the space dock, all of that is reused footage. Right. So that guy was in the porthole on two different movies. That's mm-hmm. pretty special. <laughs> I'm waiting for the action figure because he's been to two movies, people. Come on. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. If this if this were Star Wars, he'd have uh, a whole entry on Wikipedia and a comics miniseries by now. So Yeah, he'd be assigned a name. Yeah, a whole backstory. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe that's what we'll do. We'll create Porthole Man. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. Let's talk about this latest episode of Star Trek Discovery, The Examples, and we'll be right back after this brief message. Thank you so much to our Patreon supporters for helping us to bring you this episode of Positively Trek. We truly could not do it without your support. To join the ranks of our Patreon supporters, such as Carl Morris, Joyce Marin, Jim Stoffel, Dave Garcia, Rick Young, Paul D. Kinnear, and John Blaber, please go to patreon.com slash positivelytrek. You can join at any level to receive perks such as early access to episodes and exclusive bonus content. And at higher levels, there are shoutouts and associations producer credits, and much more. Thank you once again for your support of Positively Trek. And now, let's get back to the show. No. Felix, listen to me. You have years ahead of you still. You can live a different kind of life. That is not what I want. It's been a long day. He's not thinking clearly. You could force me, of course. But is it really your choice to make? This is where I committed my crime. This is where I need to remain. So season four, episode five of Discovery called The Examples is the latest episode that we're talking about here on Positively Trek. And so I don't know. I just like to jump in. I don't want to start the beginning. I I just think, Dan, 
where does this rate so far in other episodes this season for you? Because I want to get a feel for where you are on this. It's funny. I've I've kind of had to temper my expectations a little bit for this season of Discovery. And actually, that's probably not the right phrase. That sounds bad. But no, this is really, really good. And my ratings for the last few episodes have been extremely high. I said each episode is the best of, you know, the season so far. With this episode, I kind of want to take a step back from that and start, you know, thinking like, okay, you know, let me just relax and and not be too superlative about these episodes. But this one is like an extremely well put together, well paced, great episode. I mean, I was going through it and I had a hard time finding anything about it. I didn't like, which is interesting. Like there's, there's a lot of episodes that I think, Oh, that was a really good episode. There's one little niggling issue, but it's really good. And that's kind of been like the last few, this one I'm looking at it and I'm like, this is perfectly produced. Like Maybe as we discuss, there'll be something that comes up, but I'm like, there's not one part of this episode I didn't enjoy and wasn't like engaged by, if that makes sense. I, yes, that makes sense to me. I did enjoy this episode. I think you're right. I, I don't see any flaws in it. I, I think it's a really well-produced, well-acted, well-scripted episode. I didn't like it as much as the last two. But that's hmm. not a fault of anything that's wrong. It's just I what I didn't enjoy it as much as those other two. But I mean, it's still up there. It's still really good. I just wasn't into it as much as the others. But I did like when we saw the DMA, which I can't get used to that term <laughs> DMA because I said in the last episode that my industry. I use the word term DMA for something totally different. So it's weird to hear on this show. And sometimes when they say it I, for a moment, I think they're saying DNA, you know, mm. like, Oh, the DNA. Oh, this thing has a DNA. Oh, they said the DMA. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> you know, it's like that, but the DMA is, you know, is there and then it disappears and then it reappears somewhere else. So then it's like, okay, that's cool. Cause I think we kind of, figured out it probably isn't as natural as maybe we think you know somebody's behind this obviously and it's controlling and it's not a god because all these godlike beings haven't been doing anything for a while lately well the q haven't for sure uh i i love that that admiral vance lists off a bunch of you know that we're looking into whether it could be the metrons whether it could be the nascene which is like the, the caretaker species from voyager or the oh the the one that really got me was the surviving members of the the Iconian species, right. and I was like, wait, they were like a, a dead species at the time of TNG being explored through archaeology. So they've since found surviving members of the Iconian species. That's it. I want to know that story. That's kind of cool. Do you think that's uh, a hint that we might see that kind of story in an upcoming Picard or Prodigy or Lower Decks? <laughs> that would be interesting. That would be pretty cool. And then, of course, the mention that, you know, they haven't been heard anything from the Q for a few centuries, uh, but it doesn't seem like it would be them. That was that was interesting that they've kind of been gone for a while. I found that interesting, too, because I think they said 600 years that mm-hmm. the Q have been gone or haven't been, you know, showing themselves. And I thought for a moment, it's like, I know Picard's synthetic self isn't... So- supposed to live for a long period of time but maybe he does and then as soon as he 
dies a couple centuries later, the Q are like, all right, we're not interested anymore now that Jean-Luc's gone. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. The one thing that popped into my head with this whole DMA and them saying, oh, it for sure means that it's artificial and somebody created it. And of course, they discover there's a, a device at the center. So I guess that question is settled. But it was kind of funny initially when they said, well, it's not a natural phenomenon. There's nothing in nature that could do it. Therefore, it must have been created by someone. I was like, I remember in season two when they said the Red Angel suit has this fantastical technology, so it must come from the future. That is the definite. And then it turns out that Section 31 built it like 30 years ago. And I'm like, okay, is this another one of those instances where like in what this episode we're like, oh, it's for sure this. But then in a couple episodes, we'll find out, oh, no, actually, it's not. But that doesn't seem to be the case. But that did go through my head briefly. Interesting. Yeah, I can see where you're thinking. You know, okay, so for listeners, of course, we're spoiling this episode. We're going right into it. So we're going to be jumping around. And the reason I mentioned that is because I want to kind of play on that point. Okay, this this character, was it Ruan Tarka? Okay, he really fascinates me. And you're saying about, you know, this device in the center of the DMA is some kind of artificial de device. Do you think that he knows where this came from based on his conversation he has later in this episode with book. Yeah, that's the big question. I don't think he knows. I, I think he's being truthful when he says to book, he doesn't know for sure, but I think he knows a heck of a lot more than he's letting on. Like there's definitely something there and, and those hints, right. Where, you know, he's talking about books, anger and how that could be a useful thing. And I, he knows and that kind of thing. And there's some definitely interesting things there that, that he's not letting us in on, but yeah, I don't know. Cause also then he was saying about something he created that requires all this energy and stuff. It made me believe if he had created something that someone stole and is using it for this. That could be, but like when he says that he's talking about the device they made in engineering, right? And how right. it it wouldn't be powered off of discovery, right. but whatever gets, you know, whatever powers the DMA must have this huge power source and that kind of thing. I did kind of wonder, and I'm, I'm wondering why it wasn't questioned so much, is how he came up with the schematics for that exactly. thing so quickly. Yes. It seems weird that he didn't get questioned on that. <laughs> right. But see, the thing is, I'm questioning him on that. I'm wondering <laughs> how he did that. That's why I'm wondering if he does have something involved in this, not that he created this monster of this anomaly that is killing planets necessarily, like he could have been the mind behind something that someone stole that idea or got, you know, mm -hmm. whatever thing he was putting together and was able to harness it to this huge energy. And he kind of feels maybe a guilt because someone stole this idea or this theory that he had in, in using to create it. I, that's where my brain was going. Yeah. And, and that thought did enter my mind as well, especially like you say, with that end conversation with book where he seems to know, more than he's letting on and book like immediately says, you know, who did this, don't you? And, uh, I, I still, I believe him when he looks at book and says, no, I don't, 
but I think he has a big suspicion or uh, can narrow it down more than he's letting it on. Letting on. No, I'm. I yeah, I'm with you on that. I, I think you're right. If if he has any connection to this, I think you're right that he doesn't know who's doing it, but he does know more than he's leading on. Like you said earlier, I'm I'm with you on that. But what about the thing on the back of his neck? And I know we're already at the end of the episode, but believe me, we're going to get through all the rest. But I like this idea of just keep sticking with something that builds off the other. What I mean, that whole emerald chain thing, by the way, my wife, I would go, wait, where have we seen that neck thing? My wife immediately tells me, oh, you know, from the emerald chain or whatever. I was like, oh, yeah. She's like, I know more about Star Trek than you do. And so next week she'll be hosting this episode in my place. <laughs> nice. Yeah. The the emerald chain kind of tracking slash punishment device thing on the back of the neck. That That's where my mind immediately went for sure. I was also thinking like, oh, it's Goa Uld. <laughs> Stargate, Stargate fans. Anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, one thing I saw online, of course, was immediately people were thinking of the parasites from TNG conspiracy, but they don't leave a scar like that. They have the little like thing that sticks out the back of the yeah. neck. So I don't think it's tame. that. Yeah. But I, my personal belief is it's the Emerald Chain thing. And he's talking about anger and using anger. And I, I think he was a prisoner of the chain at one point. That's my guess. I, that that sounds good. I think you're I think you're getting close, if not right on it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we're getting some emerald chain stuff in here because even the colony on that planet or whatever that was gonna get consumed by the anomaly, and those prisoners that were on there. By the way, when they kept saying there's six prisoners, there's six of them. Only four of them talked. <laughs> like mm-hmm. there was a point in time where I'm like, wait, I'm only seeing four, and I kept counting. I'm like, I'm only seeing four, and then in like you know, these long shots, I'd be like, wait, one, two, three. Okay. There are six, but they never focused on the other two. Yeah. That got me a couple times as well. <laughs> and, and then at the end when Burnham beams up all of them, it's like, oh yeah, they are all there. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. And they beam up five and it's just the three, her book and the other guy that are still there, which by the way, I like that story. I don't remember the guy's name, but I like his story about how he did this crime. He murdered someone and he, you know, he's what been there for like 30 years imprisoned, And he's had that little device that belongs to the family that shows their family tree. And he's been holding it all this time to hopefully one day return it. But he doesn't feel, you know, of course, he's worthy enough to to go that he he deserves his punishment. But he wanted to make sure that the other prisoners got out. That felt very much like even old school Star Trek to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I really loved this part of the story. And uh, I, I really have to give a shout out. The guy's name is Felix, the character. Uh, and he's played by Michael Gray Eyes and just beautifully played. And can I just say how cool it is to see someone who looks like members of my family on screen? Like, right. I love that he's a native Canadian actor and oh man, I kept watching this episode a second time. I had to pause it and turn to my wife and say, why couldn't this guy have played Chakotay? And I mean, I love Robert Beltran. He did a great job, but of course he's, he's, uh, you know, Mexican American. He's not 
native and it would have been so cool to see a native person actually play that character but anyway uh the performance this guy gives i was just totally blown away by it the whole episode really really impressed yeah i i was too should, should we know him from anything else i didn't know if you've recognized him in being anything I, I, um, i've never seen him before i've never seen him that i know of before um but yeah he's he's from he's from saskatchewan so that's okay. cool Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, I really enjoyed his performance. I I enjoyed his character. I mean, it's it's so odd to see these people who are prisoners. And yeah, he he killed someone. He murdered someone. And it was somebody that was trying to help him, you know, and that's that's just sad. And of course, wrong of what he did. But the others, their crimes were so small that, you know, they are the examples to the rest of the colony that, you know, you break the rules You'll be locked away, as you can see from these six that we have over there, people. They're the examples of what will happen if you run a red light. You know, as simple as that. Do you think this is a commentary about our society being little, maybe too forceful when it comes to smaller crimes? Uh, Maybe. Like, my thought went to how people are punished disproportionately versus other people so Mm -hmm. for example uh somebody high up like a white collar person um can pretty much do drug stuff pretty freely but someone on the street will get you know 30 years for selling a small amount of marijuana or something like that right so that's kind of where my mind went was disproportionate and the the leader of the colony saying like us law-abiding citizens await your assistance or something like that i'm sure there's a bunch of people among the population there you know of the quote law-abiding citizens that did worse things than some of the you know, minor crimes that the people that we see here have done and they're not getting that kind of punishment for it. So yeah, that's kind of where my mind went. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, And you're saying about white collar crime, my mind jumped to that whole thing about the college admissions scam that went on mm-hmm. just a couple of years ago and that whole thing. And I don't know, I, some of them I think kind of got off a little too easy but i don't know maybe not <laughs> but yeah i yeah i can see what what you're saying when it comes to that you know when they were imprisoned in those little pods or whatever it made me think of the mere universe like an agonizer booth or something mm. you know and then they had those beetles that were like little bombs you know and had those little drill things that went i thought that was pretty cool those are kind of frightening i like how book says like the sound of it clicking just drives him crazy. Yeah, that was an interesting little development with the the mechanized beetles that, you know, they're designed to look like native life forms, but they're actually landmines. And again, an emerald chain technology left over. So we're seeing like the ripple effect of the chain, even though they're no longer a force to be reckoned with, supposedly, they're still we're still feeling their effects, which is interesting. There's kind of a commentary there maybe on like failed states and how, you know, technology from them can kind of proliferate and that kind of thing. So, you know, for example, after the fall of the USSR, there was the fear of, of rogue states getting their hands on, on nukes and that kind of thing. Right. So there's all this Emerald chain stuff out there that could maybe make its way into other hands and, I don't know. That's interesting. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, just because they're not around doesn't mean that there's the after effect, you know, of, like you said, their technologies and other things that are out there that people can take advantage of. And of course, what we saw with Tarka with the thing on the back of his neck. So yeah, there's, there's, pro- there's more play we're going to find out as the season goes. But that character of Tarka and even with his relation with Stamets, I would think, it, I, I would say this is my favorite part of this episode. Is that whole relationship? Because Stamets is like, you know, oh, this guy never gets back to me. He's like almost too good to talk to me. He's using my, you know, spore drive, you know, analysis and my knowledge and his team's using all this stuff, but he never talks to me. He's never personally reached out to me or anything. And now he's coming on to our ship and he's going to call the shots. Like, I'm not going to like this guy. But then Stamets starts to realize that this guy is a different breed of person, right? Meaning like Mm -hmm. he's such this genius that he's kind of awkward in relationships and he he doesn't really care. You know, he's so just passionate about this thing and he doesn't care about what everybody else thinks, which of course Stamets tells to Colbert and Colbert's like, "Mm, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, and, and as Paul says, it feels familiar. Stamets says, this feels very familiar. Right. And And it's the case for, for both Paul and Hugh. For sure. They're both that kind of person as well. Yep. Absolutely. So it's kind of a mirror to them, you know, this guy. But his, I don't remember the actor's name, but his performance, I really enjoyed. And it took me a while to realize I remember him from The Expanse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, you know, Sean I Doyle. Was, yeah. Sean Doyle. Yeah. I thought his performance on Expanse was good, but I really liked the, him in this character. Yeah. He's totally he's different. Definitely interesting. Very compelling. And... Yeah, there's a lot there. I don't know. And, and like Stamets says, you know, he is brilliant, but he kind of scares me. And I think that's that's definitely, if that's what they were going for, they hit it dead center. Bullseye. Yeah, and then he, like, does his growl at Saru. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that scene was great. Saru's like, what are you doing? <laughs> He's like, get it out. Just that. And Saru's like, Argh. <laughs> I thought that was great. Yeah, Saru's yell was genuinely terrifying and i don't know if if tarka would have done that like does he know about the spikes that can shoot out of the back of saru's neck like i don't know if i'd have gotten that close in his face yelling like that if i'd have known that (laughs) i was wondering that too yeah well another character in those scenes is jet reno and it's so good to see jet reno there but um was she really there because I've heard, uh, I think on different interviews or stuff, that Tig Notaro wasn't available a whole lot. So they did some tricky things where they shot scenes with her on one visit that was that's across multiple episodes. And if you notice, there's only one scene that she's actually with Stamets at the you know near the beginning of the episode, and the rest she's off camera from the other three characters. So I don't think she was on set. There's a couple shots where you see the back of her, but I think that's a stand-in. But she's like almost every scene, she's not with them. She's off to the side. And so I think that those uh, those scenes that you see of her were inserted later. Interesting. I'll have to watch again to, to catch that because I, I always, since that's been pointed out to me with regards to the best of both worlds part two and Jordy, how he's not actually in that episode. I can't unsee that now. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm, I'm curious to watch this again and see if I I pick up on that. That's interesting. I didn't realize that, but thinking back on it, that makes sense. 
Well, I don't know why, but my brain went there. I was like, oh, there's Tig. So I guess this is one of the times she was actually in town. And then like every scene I kept thinking, she's not with anybody else. She's all by herself on camera. And they're always talking to her off camera. And I was like, this is probably Mm -hmm. one of those times she showed up one day and they're like, okay, these are the lines you need to read because we're going to insert it in the episode that you weren't here for. You know, except for that one with Paul, which they probably did that time too, and just insert it. But anyway, then the second time I watched it, I was really looking for it. And I'm like, yep, yep, yep. So now I'm, I'm sorry. It's, it's always going to be in your head now, Dan, when you watch this episode. No, that's cool. I'm, I'm interested to check that out and have that in mind. I, I love little behind the scenes stuff like that. Like, seriously, this. If people don't realize this, go and watch The Best of Both Worlds Part 2, the season four opener for TNG. And every time Jordy's on screen, he's not with anyone else. And like in the big climax where they're, you know, connecting with the Borg, that's why it's O'Brien doing all the engineering stuff there with Data and them and not Jordy. Because LaForge, he was really sick when they filmed or something. They had to film all this stuff later. So it's, I feel like, if that's the case with this episode, which it certainly sounds like it is, they might have done a better job of it than they did with the TNG. Because, of course, you have more technology to be able to do some more interesting stuff nowadays. So, you know, the cheats might be might look a little better. The problem I have with doing podcasting with you, Dan, is most of the time when we finish an episode of recording, then I want to go watch something because you plan things <laughs> in my head. Now I want to go see Best of Both Worlds Part 2 and just look at that at the beginning and go and watch Shatner as Kirk on Star Trek 2, not, you know, <laughs> move forward when the ship does. So, yeah. I'll Pay special attention out. to the scene in engineering where Riker and Worf go to talk to Jordy and how they're just like very obviously at one shot. And then Jordy is very obviously like at his console looking up, talking to them, but they're not in the same room at all. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you have fun figuring stuff like that out? Like not even just in Star Trek, but you know, like even old shows, especially because it's easier to figure things out because they didn't have the digital technology to do come to the, some of the magic they can do now, but just things like, you know, bewitched or something where, you know, somebody's there and not there and, and you're like, oh, yeah, they had to tell the actors to stand and not move while the other person moves in, <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. I always have fun watching that. I am, we're still, my wife and I are still watching Quantum Leap right now. We're in season four. And every time Al, as the hologram disappears, they generally do a pretty good job, but everybody just like moves just slightly when he disappears because they're, you know, basically being told, just stand where you were. And, you know, will match the shots up and they do a pretty good job, but it's still noticeable every time. Well, and to relate this back to Star Trek, that's what I thought was really brilliant. And I appreciated them doing this on TNG with Q because when Q appears or disappears, it's a big white light that flashes. So Mm -hmm. you don't see that change in somebody's position if they had to freeze the camera. Yeah. The only time I ever notice it is in the season three episode, Deja Q. And I think it's when Q makes like the cigars appear and the women and they don't flash over the whole screen. And there's like a little jitter there. But that's the only time that when I was younger, when I was when I was like, oh, that's how they do it. Okay. And then, of course, notice that when he flashes later, it just 
flashes the whole screen and you don't really notice. <laughs> I'll have to show you some of my old VHS tapes from the 80s where I did that with my brother. Had him oh, appear nice. and disappear throughout the house. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> I have to get, ask my parents where that is. They have the tape. I have to get that on digital just for fun. <laughs> okay, back to this episode. So... Kovic and Kolber, I love that scene was also one of my favorite episodes, uh, not episodes, but scenes in this episode mm-hmm. between the two of them, because, you know, Kolber is dealing with a lot like we discussed in the last episode discussion. And now Kovic is basically calling him on it because, you know, Kolber's asking for his advice. By the way, the thing I like about Kovic is like, I only have a limited time. You know, I'm a busy man. You scheduled this time, utilize it. And then at the end of that scene, he's like, I have a 2.30, bye. (laughs) And I'm like, (laughs) I work with people like that. (laughs) Yeah, that was great. Wonderful scene. Again, Wilson Cruz, his acting is just incredible. His voice, he's just right on the edge, right? Like he's standing on the precipice and he's, he's struggling. And man, does that ever come across? He's, he's really good in this scene. And David Cronenberg, I just, I love this character. I need to know so much more about him. He's so fascinating to watch. Yeah, we still haven't really figured out what his true role is in Starfleet or the Federation, have we? I mean, he seems like he's just a counselor, but he's doing something with the Academy. And like, he just feels like he's a jack of all trades. It feels like he his psychology is his main thing. Like if if you watch all of his appearances, it's like, okay, that makes sense. Because he was debriefing Georgiou and talking about the mental state of Terrans. And he was he's when he's talking to Tilly about the academy, he says, you know, cadets are having trouble integrating. That's why I was consulted. So it feels like he's very much in the like maybe the head of Starfleet psychology or something like that. Yeah. That that certainly seems that that is the case. I still like the theories uh, in last season that he might be connected with Section 31 or something. You know, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll see if there's something like that in there that we don't know about him, because I would like to find out something later that we go, oh, OK, we didn't know that about Kovic. That's interesting. You know? Yeah. But, uh, you know, the whole pointing out to Cobra that, you know, you died and you came back to life. And, you know, what right do you have? to have had that experience when other people are dying and then that whole, I mean, just imagine there would be a sense of guilt in a sense. I mean, if, if I had died, like truly died, not just near death, but died and came back, I don't know how that would mess with me, you know, because then I'd see other people that I know die and they don't get the chance to come back. And why me? I mean, there would be a sense of guilt in that. Yeah, and uh, and as Kovic says, a savior complex, right? Yeah. Like if I came back, there's there must be some reason, something I'm supposed to do. Why me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is it? What's my calling? What What does this mean? Why am I given a second chance? What am I supposed to do with that? And like you said, he's there helping everybody else, but not helping himself. And he needs just as much help as anyone else does on that ship. So mm-hmm. I love his character. I mean, Cobra's really always becoming my favorite each episode he's on. So agreed a hundred percent. Yeah. He's, I just, I want to protect him. <laughs> he's so important. <laughs> I want him to be my doctor. 
Next time I make a doctor's appointment, I'm just going to say, is there anyone there named Colber? I'm just curious because <laughs> I want that person to be my doctor. <laughs> so, okay. I want to talk about Zora because that whole short track that takes place in the future and Zora's this consciousness of the ship and all that, but the ship looks like the old discovery and not the new discovery. I can't get it like through my head how they're going to connect those. I mean, I'm just curious if you have any theory and maybe we shouldn't even talk about theories, but obviously they're going in that direction of showing that Zora is now starting to develop more. Yeah, I'm just curious to see it play out now. I, I love that they take little steps towards it and we're following on this journey. That conversation between Zora and Burnham in the turbo lift and Burnham she's a little concerned and Burnham's like, when did you start feeling emotions? She's definitely getting kind of worried that like, this is an odd development. And, you know, is she thinking like, does my ship have free will now? Like if I order discovery to do something, maybe Zora will say, I don't really feel like doing that though. You know, I, I, that doesn't make me happy or something like that. I don't know. Like, I'd be I'd be having these questions if I was Burnham. You know, if I were Burnham, I I would be a little worried about that. Yeah. Beca- yeah, cuz you don't know what that means, you know? I mean, is it, mm-hmm. it 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 could be that someone is doing something to Zora on the ship and it's going to I mean, I guess what I'm kind of lean towards is everything they went through with control and everything that you would be a little concern about the ship taking control you know, i didn't this, even think of that but yeah absolutely yeah. <laughs> yeah is this is this gonna be a good zora or a bad zora at the end <laughs> you know <laughs> starting to worry about that maybe a little i i yeah i'm i've been waiting for this to happen you know to see li- these little developments in zora because of that short treks episode but uh, I'm really curious how they are going to tie all that in. And, and I'm sure there's going to be an episode down the road that really is focused on Zora. Like Zora's going to have a big part at, at some point in something. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. The other thing I noticed is the bridge crew wasn't the same bridge crew we're used to always seeing. Owa and Detmer weren't there. And it was just different. Yeah. I, I missed Owo and, and Detmer. I was really, yeah, kind of like, Oh, we haven't seen them for a few episodes. They're probably due. You know, I I saw kind of the previews for this episode. Oh, we've got a mission. They're they're going to go do a thing. So we're going to have some bridge scenes. Cool. We're going to see those regular people. And where are they? I mean, we got Reese and he had yeah. a big episode, that, a big part in the episode. That was pretty cool. But yeah, I'm missing my Detmer and my Owo and... Uh, you know, even even Squidface and all those regular people. <laughs> we did see Linus and we did see Nilsson as well. Sarah Midich as as Lieutenant Commander Nilsson was there as well. So, uh, you know, we got a few of those faces. Not 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 any lines, I don't think. But uh, yeah, Detmer and Owo, they're they're somewhere. And Bryce, we know, isn't going to be around for a little bit. So we got his replacement there as well, Lieutenant Christopher. So, I don't know. It's different faces. I was looking forward to seeing our old crew. I wonder where they are. Yeah, and uh, that actress who plays Nielsen, Sarah Mitch? Mitchell? Mittich. 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 Yeah. Um, were you with me at STLV when we talked? I, like, I had a brief conversation with her. Somebody was with me. 
Maybe it was Justin Ozer because we worked the room. But she was so sweet, <laughs> so very nice, and she was very interested in and in what she's been. She was hearing at that time about her character in uh, the comics. Mm, at the time right, when she yeah. was playing um yeah she I, played arium in in, yes. in season one yes she was very interested in arium in in the comics at the time so yeah, i think i might was, have been there with you because i did talk with her so okay that's cool. yeah i just remember she was really nice so um i mean they all are but i just when you mentioned her i just thought back to that but then then they had that alien really alien looking person there on the bridge too that I read somewhere was one of the aliens used, I think in Star Trek beyond. It was one of the Kelvin timeline movies. Oh, I think it was beyond. okay. Interesting. So a return to that. And then the woman that they gave the, that Burnham gave the little sphere to that has the little family tree. I don't remember that alien race, but that was from enterprise. Yeah. The Akali. Yeah. That the was Akali. The, yes. That was the very first, uh, alien civilization that enterprise came across. And I love that because it was in the first season episode civilization and they were like a medieval civilization at the time, but it's been a thousand years. So now they're spacefaring. That's so cool. I love that. Love for Star Trek enterprise in this episode too. You know, it just goes to show Dan that these writers do not know Star Trek. <laughs> As yeah, some people no. say online. <laughs> Obviously yeah. they do. Of Obviously course. Obviously they do. They know it, I think, better than I do. So there you go. If they don't know Star Trek, then I don't know Jack. Beep. Okay. So that being said, the last thing I wanted to say, unless there's anything else you want to talk about this episode, is the thing that I'm really enjoying is just Burnham's development, feeling even more and more like a captain. You know, she's really up there. Mm -hmm. I mean, she's always had great command, but if you really think to where she was at the very first of season one and all the things she went to through season one and through all the previous seasons to now, I mean, she really does feel like the captain's chair fits her just perfectly. Yeah. There was a moment and, and now my mind is going to, to Brandy Jackala because there was a moment that I got a little teary in this episode and it was at a completely surprising moment and I, I wasn't expecting it. And it was the scene on the bridge. It wasn't during one of the high emotional scenes, but when Burnham confronts the magistrate, when he storms onto the bridge and says, how dare you put these criminals with us? They should be in the brig. We don't want them mixing with our population. And it's under my authority as, and Burnham's like, your authority is what? Leader of a colony that doesn't exist anymore? And that whole bit where she talks about where you're going now, you will be a refugee seeking shelter from people relying on their compassion. I truly hope that you find yourself in a society that is more just than the one you helped create. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have a ship to captain. And I just like, that hit me. And I just got a little bit like misty eyed. I was like, wow, what a moment. What a captain moment. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it that, you know, she got this moment to put him in his place and not, not vindictively, not, you know, trying to like put him down, but just a little bit of splash of cold water in his face to make him realize, you know, you were calling the shots before, but now you're not. And 
you need to hope that the people around you are more compassionate than you clearly are. And I just, oh, I love that moment. That's it. That's the moment. That I'm glad you brought that up. That's it. Yeah, that's that's one of those moments that she really does feel like a captain because that that moment, you know, I had visions of Janeway, Cisco, mm-hmm. Kirk, Picard, whatever. Absolutely, you know? yeah. It's it just like yes, she belongs to the club. She's she's definitely in the club of captains. She should oh, be yeah. at the captain's table. Remember the novels, the captain table novels. Mm-hmm. Where each captain comes into the bar, we need one of her. Definitely. <laughs> and Saru. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and also, it's nice to see Saru, um, even in his role of still trying to be a diplomat, and he's even touching the little emblem on his chest for Kaminar. I, 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 we didn't get a whole lot of Saru in here, except him freaking out of like shutting the experiment down before they blow up the ship, but... Again, Saru's just a Mr. Saru is such a great character. Yeah, his role in this episode was really good. I really liked his his presence here and the whole supervising the experiment and having the dead man switch and stuff. I don't know. I just I really liked Saru in this episode as well. Well, I don't have any other thoughts or comments about this episode. Uh, Good to see Vance again. So I like. I like his character, so good seeing him. But uh, any final thoughts from you? Yeah, um, a great episode. Again, it was one of those ones where I couldn't find anything to pick at. Like, it just, like, from beginning to end, I was enthralled in this episode. I thought the pacing was perfect. I loved seeing the, the Akali from Enterprise come back and, you know, little hints that we're moving towards something going on here. Ruan Tarka is just such a fascinating individual. Yeah. And, and I have to say Michael gray eyes as Felix just is going to be a highlight of this episode for me and his ultimate decision that he feels it's part of his penance that he can't leave this place and has to either wait there for his jailers to return or for the colony to be destroyed. And, that was a really moving moment, very touching. And the whole bit with Burnham and the Akali woman and returning the family, uh, family tree device. That was beautiful. So I, I just, I can't say anything bad about this episode. I don't, you know, ratings, where does it fall? Obviously really high rating. I have to give it five beautiful new additions to this family tree sometime in the future. So I, I love this episode. Brilliant. That's great. Yeah. I, I love this episode too. As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, maybe not as much as I loved the previous two, this season that we just had, but not to say that I didn't like this episode. It just, I wasn't as into it as maybe those other two, just because whatever it is in the storyline that I wasn't as deep into as some of the previous ones, I, you know, as much as I love Tilly, I, I, I don't, I don't know how to say it without sounding bad, but I didn't really miss her because there's so many good characters and moments in this that it didn't feel like, you know, oh, this would have only been better if Tilly were here. I mean, I do want Tilly to come back and we will see Tilly again, but it didn't feel empty to me because the episode is rich enough that we can go through this without having the same characters all the time. We don't need Tilly in every episode. We don't need Adira in every episode. I do want them to come back again soon, but the episode's rich enough that I didn't feel that something was missing is my point. 
But uh, yeah, I really enjoyed the episode and I would give this four out of five exploding beetles that just went kaboom. Nice. Well, that being said, Dan, if people want to talk about this episode with you, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Kurtrats. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. You can also find me on YouTube.com slash Kurtrats Productions. Mostly doing live shows these days with Brandy Jackla and Bruce. Anytime you're wanting to come back to do that, you're always welcome. And the Positively Trek discussion group on Facebook, which is my personal favorite place to hang out on the internet. The group, not Facebook as a whole. It needs <laughs> yes. to be said. <laughs> exactly. Yes. And uh, yes, I will not be on, as we're recording this, the last live show I wasn't on or I won't be on tonight because I'm going to see the new Spider-Man movie. We Ooh, have tickets for I'm that. jealous. I'm jealous. This will be the first time I've gone to the movie theater since the whole COVID thing. Feels a little weird. But, oh, wow. <laughs> and it's going to be packed uh, right now because I've seen the, the reserved seats. But anyway, uh, I'm on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. That's Admiral with underline Rex. And then I've been occasionally on Literary Treks and the Star Wars Report podcast. So also you can follow this podcast on Twitter at Positively Trek. You can send an email to PositivelyTrek at gmail.com. And look for our discussion group on Facebook, like Dan mentioned. And also we have a Goodreads group that shows our books that are coming up in the next month that we're reading. And yeah, I think that's about it. Also, you know, Instagram Positively Trek is there too. And then we want to thank our patrons. Thank you again so much for supporting us here on Positively Trek. There are some expenses that are needed to keep this podcast going. So we appreciate all your efforts. And if anybody's interested, go to patreon.com slash positively track and even a dollar donation will get you in for some special content so check it out so thank you everyone for joining us and as we always say stay positive Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.